Hey, howdy, space nerds. Thanks for tuning in each week as we explore space exploration. Don't let the conversation stop when you reach the end of this episode. Let's keep chatting online. We've launched a new Facebook page to host discussions and share the latest space news. You can find us by searching Are We There Yet podcast or visiting facebook.com slash awtymars. I'll see you there. From the studios at WMFE in Orlando, Florida, this is the Space Exploration Podcast that asks the question, are we there yet? Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. NASA is in the process of developing a rocket system that will take humans past low Earth orbit and into deep space. Astronauts will explore places like cislunar space, or maybe even Mars, from the safety of the Orion space capsule. To blast that piece of hardware into space, NASA is building the Space Launch System. That huge rocket will launch an uncrewed capsule on a trip around the moon sometime in 2019. And that mission starts from the Kennedy Space Center. Since the end of the shuttle program, KSC has been working to transform parts of the center to support the next generation of NASA launch vehicles. That division is called the Ground Systems Development and Operations, or GSDO. It handles all the stuff that sends the rocket to space, from the vehicle's assembly to the rocket's launch. I recently took a trip out to Kennedy Space Center to check out the upgrades underway ahead of SLS and Orion's next launch. Over the next three episodes, we'll take an in-depth, in-the-field look at what's going on. And in this episode, we start at Launch Complex 39B. This launch pad has sent Apollo astronauts into deep space, as well as shuttle missions into low-Earth orbit. Today, construction equipment roars as the final projects are wrapping up. Our tour starts in the flame trench of the launch pad. That's the deep well underneath the rocket that vents all the exhaust and heat away from the pad. My name is Regina Spellman, and I'm the senior project manager for the launch pad for the Ground Systems and Development Operations Program. Nice, long, windy name, right? <laughs> so where are we right now? So right now we are standing in the mouth of the flame trench. This is where the last place you want to be on launch day. Um, the mobile launcher will sit up on the pad surface. It'll basically right, go right up to that bridge. So you, that's where the mobile launcher will sit. You can see about where those people are would be the opening of the exhaust hole. And so all the exhaust from the rocket will come down. There will be a deflector right there where they're standing that will de- deflect all the exhaust towards us, and it'll go out this way. So definitely the worst place to be on launch day, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. I mean, this is huge. How tall, how deep is this trench? This is about 40 feet deep. And, and why it's about is it a two piece... football field lengths long. So. And why is it so deep? It's so deep because you have to deflect all of that exhaust coming out of the rocket engines, come down and have to be able to be deflected and go out and to keep the loads and the pressures distributed so that you don't have everything too localized. Now this was built in the 60s. This is 50 years old for Apollo. And so we have just repurposed it for shuttle and then we repurposed it for, um, for SLS. Talk, talk to me about some of that work you've done here. I know these are, these, are these look bricks. new bricks, right? Yeah, they're all new bricks. These bricks, these are not your typical patio bricks that you think of when you're trying to do a patio. You can do it in a weekend. This took us um, almost two years to complete. These bricks are each almost 25 pounds. It's an interlocking system. It's just, it is a standard fire brick to withstand the high temperature, but the bricks are interlocking and they have an anchor system to keep them um, attached to the wall because not only do we get high pressures pushing against the wall, at sometimes we also get a vacuum that wants to pull the bricks away from the wall, which is a unique environment for bricks. So um, we're only bricking in the north half 
because for SLS, the exhaust only comes to the north. So we've saved some money there. If ever a new vehicle would come out here that needed to use the south, they could go in and brick it in. Are there any major changes from between Apollo, shuttle, and then SLS that you've, you've had to deal with over the years? Or is it pretty much a, a similar configuration for this, for for this, this project? Um, well, for, for the flame trench flame deflector, we have an entirely new flame deflector design. The new design um, it will be able to accommodate different rockets. It's not just for SLS. It is optimized for SLS, but it could also support smaller rockets. Um, so that is unique to us. And uh, we have taken out the old deflector. The deflector that was there before was used for Apollo and shuttle. So we have removed that, and we have a, uh, a new one coming in. You see the parts kind of laying around, and it'll um, start being erected here within the next month or so. So what, what left is, is to be done down here uh, in the trench? There's minor work um, on, in the concrete, but it's really doing the bearing locations for the deflector, and then they'll start erecting the deflector, and that'll be it. But they had to finish the wall before they could bring the deflector in. And they have done a lot of, and then you see they're doing some patchwork on some of the, um, the brickwork and the concrete around here, because this, this is 50 years old, and it's sitting next to the beach, and so it's taken its fair share of beatings. So. And, and we're looking up and we see these, these towers and these wires above us. What is this for? So this is the new lighting protection system that we have. This was the first project that we built. When we took over the pad from the space shuttle program, we started um, erecting these lighting protection systems. These are 600-foot tall towers with a catenary system, and the catenary system are the wires that actually provide the protection. The towers are really just to hold up the wires. And then you can see the arms hanging off of the towers. Those give us weather data. We have weather data every 200 feet. And you'd be amazed at how much your wind and your temperature and your rain changes in those 200 feet. Under previous programs, when we didn't have that technology, the data would come from miles away. And so now you can pinpoint exactly what the winds are so you can have better control over your launch window. How, how do just those wires protect, uh, protect the rocket? So it provides kind of like a, um, kind of a, a cage, if you think about it. It, it, so where the lightning will not go through that and it'll attract the lightning strike to those wires and then it takes it down to the ground. And that way it doesn't go inside. If you think about it as a cage, it won't go inside that cage. It'll hit, it'll be attracted to one of the wires. And then the other nice thing about it is that we have a high-speed camera at the top. This is a world-class system where it's constantly recording the pad surface. And then when our sensors trigger a strike, they, they save that data. And then they go back and, and process that data and they can tell you exactly where that lightning strike happen. So you know whether it hit the rocket, it hit something on the pad, or it hit something a mile away. Where in the past they would say, we know we've had lightning, so we have to go and check the vehicle make sure there was no damage. And that would take several days. And now we can say, we know there was lightning, but there were no strikes to the rocket or to any of our equipment, so we're good to go. And we can get, you know, so we can have better opportunities for launch. Is that the first time something like that's being used Absolutely. on a pad? Absolutely. Yeah, it's the first time it's been used anywhere. And they've actually, it's, it's a new technology and they're starting to um, use it in other places. So it's and, world class. And I'm thinking, you know, watching uh, live streams of launches on other pads that have these lightning suppression systems, they look so tiny in the video, but these things are massive. These They're are huge. the biggest, yeah. These are, especially compared to the other pads we have here, these are the biggest. And when we were doing this under Constellation program, at the time, we were looking at um, Ares 1 and Ares 5, and we weren't quite sure Ares 5 wasn't mature enough, so they didn't know exactly how tall it was. So the engineers had to make some assumptions, and what they assumed is that the lightning towers would protect the vehicle that could lead the vehicle assembly building because that's such a massive facility and so critical that we knew they were not going to build another one. So if it could roll out of the VAB, it can be protected here. And so that was just an engineering assumption. You have to make those types of judgment calls when you're very early on in the program, but we needed to get the work going. So 
it, it would be able to, um, anything that would come. And so then when SLS came, we were already covered, literally. <laughs> so what else can you show us? As we walk out of the trench, Regina points to a huge water tower and wide pipes that crisscross the pad. The mm -hmm. These water, the water pipes, yeah, they come through and that's the opening point. And that goes right into the, um, the mobile launcher? It goes into the mobile launcher, goes through, there's large pipes just like this that go through the mobile launcher deck and then it goes up through the exhaust hole and the water comes out in the exhaust hole and also the mobile launcher deck mm -hmm. because the acoustics from the vehicle could bounce back and damage the vehicle. It would bounce off the mobile launcher deck and then bounce and reflect onto the vehicle and cause structural damage, which would be a very bad day. So that water just kind of diffuses that. And that was used, if you think of a shuttle launch, if you imagine in your mind when you would watch those on video and you see that big white cloud, that's the sound suppression mm -hmm. system. That's the steam from all that water. And where and does all that water go? Cold. Does it come down here and out? Or? So on the pad surface, you can, well, you can kind of see right there, there's a flume that comes down. Okay. And then the water also comes down. And we capture all that water because we're on a, a wildlife natural refuge. So we keep all that water in these ponds. And we've redone those ponds. <laughs> like I said, we've done everything. Um, and we keep we tr make sure the water gets neutralized before we put it back into the ground because the the solid rockets are so acidic. So all the as it washes down, you have very acidic water. So we hold them in those ponds until we can get it. And when we actually put it back in the ground, it's cleaner than uh, rainwater. Hmm. That's cool. That's a lot of water. <laughs> it is a lot of water. It actually one of our projects that we put in um, are these bypass valves because they said, well, if we start the water and then there's an abort. Uh, it's going to damage the rocket and then we're like well, you can't stop that much water and so we have a, a bypass that just puts in lower flow water and then when they're getting close enough we'll open up the big one when it's you know when it's like yeah you're definitely going we open up the big one and then hmm. that way we can control it and we don't have to worry about impeding on them. It, it seems like a lot of those changes are to minimize the turnaround time. Um, you're talking about that water suppression system, you're talking about the lightning strike thing. Is that a, a top priority for, for a, a rocket this big is to be able to, if there is an issue, you can, you can scrub and turn around much quicker than the 48 hours or whatnot? It's important to be able to turn it around. It's also important to be able to keep your window because you know, the windows aren't, they don't come around that often. So you want to do, have every possibility to hit that window that you can. So that's part of our job is to give the vehicle every best chance of getting off the ground. So that's how we look at it. We're like, if we do this modification and that gives them us a better chance of hitting that window, then it's a good thing to do. And then we're, we're flanked by these giant domes, liquid oxygen, yeah, liquid so hydrogen. Liquid hydrogen, liquid oxygen. We say that we keep them as far apart as possible until absolutely necessary. <laughs> I'm glad. We like them to meet on the rocket, not on the ground. Uh, we have refurbished those, um, and we've refurbished all the piping and everything that goes to it. We have drained them. Right now they're empty. Um, which is why that's we, good to know. Yeah, yeah, you're safe to walk around. He says no smoking, but it's okay. Um, and so we're going to start filling those in September. Uh, we don't want to fill them too close. I mean, too far away from launch because they do boil off. It's minus 423 degrees, and it's sitting out here in the hot Florida sun. There is an insulating material in there, but there is a slight boil off rate. So we, and also because of the hazard. So we want to wait till we get close enough to needing it, um, and so that we're going to start filling them in September. And it'll take several months to get them filled. But we drained them, and it was the first time they drained them in about, I think, 25, 30 years. And we've gone in and replenished the um, insulation in them and have refurbished all the outside of them and repainted them and everything, getting them ready. Um, for the first launch, we are using um, a different upper stage. But for when we go to exploration mission number two, we are going to a larger upper stage that needs more hydrogen. And so in order to get three launch attempts, we actually have to build another sphere 
Think of each of these are about 900,000 gallons. We have to build another one next to it that's 1.4 million gallons. That's and insane. All of that hydrogen, <laughs> part of the hydrogen is used to cool the engines mm -hmm. and then also obviously as the propellant. So, um, but to get, that's how much hydrogen we're going to be needing for three attempts. And then what we'll use the old one just to fill the new one. So the rocket will be filled from the new, the new sphere and then we'll just, if we have to need another attempt, we have it right there, like our on-site storage. Um, with all that hydrogen, I mentioned we have three projects left. We've been doing projects nonstop since 2007. We're down to our last three. I just showed you one. The other one is the separator. Because of all that hydrogen that we need um, under shuttle, we would just we would just drain off the hydrogen and burn it in this flare stack. Okay. Well, they use so much hydrogen in the cooling that we can't just take it all to the flare stack and burn it off. Think of your propane tank at home. If you had like a bunch of propane tanks going to that same igniter, it just would flood it. So we have this tank straight in front of us with the red pipes around it. It's a separator tank, so the liquid hydrogen goes in there and it's allowed to warm up, and then when it gets to gas, then it'll go down to the flare stack. That way we know we're not hitting the flare stack with, um, with liquid. Uh, I, it's so like that'd an, be bad, right? It would, be, it would put it out, and then we would have a lot of hydrogen. Um, would be bad. This, I call it's like an above-ground septic tank. You know, instead of solid to liquid, you're going ga liquid to gas. So we collect all the liquid when it's ready and it wants to go off in gas, then it goes off and it just sits there and collects. So it's just kind of a passive system, but um, very, very important. But this is something as the vehicle matured and the vehicle requirements changed, we found out that we needed to. So this is a new thing. We did not have this in shuttle or, um, or Apollo. And that's just because it's using so much so hydrogen. So much hydrogen, correct. So that's one of our, that's two of our final three projects that we've got to do. Okay. So. Regina takes me to the top of the launch pad. This is where the mobile launcher, that's basically a rocket trailer, will sit with the rocket ahead of the launch. The pad is huge, if you haven't yet gathered that, so we have to drive up to it. And the view is breathtaking. So we have one of the best views. This is awesome. So, it, oh, that's the Atlantic? Is that what that is? Or is that yeah, the that's the Atlantic. Okay. Mm -hmm. And there's those massive towers that are even bigger up here. Yeah, and you can see, it's a, it's a good day, you can see the opening in there, uh -huh. the, the rocket will fly through. And you can kind of see how they, and then they come down. Oh yeah, here's a good one you can see in this light. Mm -hmm. And they come down to these ground conductors and all that, all that electricity will go away from the rocket. So we're up on the top of the platform here, so if we step over here we can see the pebbles so this is where the mobile launch yeah. platform will actually come up right yep the mobile you can see it from here the mobile launcher it'll leave the vehicle assembly building and it follows that road and it comes down and when it comes up this hill the crawler actually keeps it level so the rocket and the mobile launcher stay completely level as it comes up and then it comes across here and then it sits down on these pedestals mount mechanisms we call them you can see the ones with the number three number six on this end if you kind of look through you can see four five six through there and that's where the mobile launcher sits down on and then the crawler leaves the edge of the crawler is about a foot from that bridge so that gives you the footprint of where the mobile launcher sits and then we make all the connections to the mobile launcher in this area right here so you know we have the we have the big tanks we have equipment under the under the pad surface um, everything centralizes right in here we make all the hookups on both sides I mean all your facility your, your water your wastewater your communications your power but also your liquid hydrogen, your liquid oxygen, um, all of it comes through here on both sides. Think of a trailer park, we're the RV park. Mm -hmm. And um, this is much more streamlined than shuttle, because under shuttle we had the fixed service structure and rotating service structure, and you can kind of see Pad A still has 
their fixed surface structure and most of the rotating surface structure. That's what this used to look like. So after we did these, we demoed that. And so we have this clean pad concept, which means we have a lot less infrastructure sitting here on the pad that's exposed to the salt air, getting corroded, that needs to be maintained. So you can do all your connections to the vehicle and the vehicle assembly building. Then you come here and then all we need to do is connect to the mobile launcher. Right, when you look at it, it, it looks bare, but that's because everything's on the mobile launcher. It's on platform. the mobile launcher, or underneath the pad surface, or out the distributor. Like the big storage, obviously, we need to do here. The big water, the big cryos. Um, but all the, all the systems all the, um, that directly interface with the vehicle are on the mobile launcher. So you have a lot less to maintain out here. Um, which is a really good thing. It's very costly to sit on the next to the ocean and um, We have but we like I've said before we have touched everything We took out all of our data cables as an example We took out over 300 miles of copper cable and these are not small copper These are huge heavy copper cables and we replaced everything with fiber optics So one of those towers is where we drape across all of our data connections I used to take a crew an entire day to drape all those cables across and make those connections and now we have on the order of 25 fiber optics cables that need to be connected, and that's it. So it's um, it's a lot more streamlined. Up play. to the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we just need a couple USBs on there. Um, you can see uh, there's a tower there the, that's kind of enclosed. Mm -hmm. That's a brand new elevator. When we took down the fi fixed service structure, we needed an elevator to get the crew onto the mobile launcher. So our ground crew, as well as the astronauts, will go on that elevator. We'll go across the mobile launcher inside, and then there's an elevator on the mobile launcher that will take them up to the crew access level. So that'll be their path. Um, but we have all the other, right in front of that, there's a, a platform that has, looks like some kind of stub ups there. Mm -hmm. And those are some other connections. That's where some of our water and, and um, gases come through. And then the next platform is where we make our power connections. So all, everything is right here centrally located. When they come up, and then we just mm -hmm. you know, attach to it. So you, you, you say you took a lot down from shuttle. Is there anything that you had to add to to kind of refurbish? I mean, yeah, SLS is is it powerhouse? Yeah, <laughs> we've had we have had to do a lot of upgrades on power. Um, when you look at those towers, actually, while it looks like it's all the same, some of those um, were done under Apollo. Some of those are brand new and shuttle, and some of those have been brand new under GSTO. And we know which ones. <laughs> but when you look at it, you wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. um, I can kind of tell you the one that's towards the front that has a little bit more of a goldish tint to it. Mm -hmm. That's an Apollo. I told you the elevator was new. Mm -hmm. The one next to it, um, that's where the data comes. That's a shuttle. So, um, you know, it's we, we're mixing the best of the legacy and bringing in the modernization, and we're doing it, you know, seamlessly together. And that's what's really fascinating about this job is because we find things from it being, his, you know, being so historic when we're building. Our, the conditions are always surprising to us what we find. Um, but there's, like, for example, this pad surface is so well built it will be able to withstand SLS, even though it was not designed for that. Um, but it's, it's more than enough. And, you know, so we have such great bones to build on, and then we can just bring in where we need to modernize. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. You know? Now, Regina, what's it like to work on a pad like this? I mean, it's got such a storied history with Apollo, with shuttle, and now taking you know, the next the, humans to the deep next space. generation. And I, and I tell you, I often come out here and I think when I'm walking around, of so much that has come before. Like you can almost, when it's a quiet, not like today, but when it's quiet, you can almost hear the sounds of previous launches and previous activity, the buzz of all of it going on. But then you also look and you see the ocean and you see the greenery and you think about those astronauts as they step into the capsule. I have to imagine that they're gonna take one last breath of fresh air and look at the ocean and look at the green because it's gonna be a long time before they see it again. And I think this view that I see every day is gonna be their last view for a while of this great, you know, this great location, so.
and it's a beautiful view, right? Mm -hmm. Not bad to have as your last view for a while <laughs> of, the, of the Earth. So. Well, Regina, thank you very much for speaking thank with us. Thank you for your time. I enjoyed it. That was Regina Spellman taking us on a tour of the upgrades at Launch Complex 39B. I'll post some pictures from the trip on our Facebook page. Be sure to look us up. You can search for Are We There Yet? podcast on Facebook. Now, in the next episode, we'll head inside NASA's iconic vehicle assembly building to check out what's new since the days of the shuttle and how the towering building can adapt on the fly to new rockets. And remember, the conversation continues on Twitter. The show is at AWTYMars, and I'm at Space Brendan. Support for Are We There Yet? comes from the listeners of WMFE. Our theme music was composed by Kevin McLeod. And you can find more space news online at WMFE.org space. Until next time, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening. <laughs>